Well, good morning. It is so glad to see y'all this morning. How are y'all doing? Awesome, 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 awesome. Well, we are uh, journeying through the Bible together this year. We're going to try to make it all the way through. Obviously, we're going to have to skip a lot of stuff and, and, and skip over different passages, but uh, we are, we're working through. And today we have gotten to Moses. <clears throat> so we'll be um, looking at, at several different places today. Um, but before we get started, let's open up in prayer. Father, we love you, and Father, we thank you for your love for us. Father, we thank you for your word, that you revealed yourself to us through your word, that you gave us uh, knowledge of who you are and what you're like and, and, and what we're like. And so, Father, we understand who we really are through your revelation, and we understand who you are. And, Father, we learn that you have a desire to have a relationship with every single person on this earth and that you desire for all to repent and to be saved. And so, Father, we thank you for that, and we thank you for your pursuit of us and your making a way for us to be saved. Father, I pray that as we study your word this hour, that, Father, that you would, you would, through the Holy Spirit, you would open our minds and give us clarity, give us understanding of your word so that we can see who you are more clearly and that it will shape our lives as a result, that we would be different people and that we would live differently as we go out and we would talk to people differently as we have conversations with them. We love you, Father, and we thank you. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right. Well, to give you a, a, a summary of Moses' life and um, just, a, just a, 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 good, a good recap of, of the things that he did, we're going to look to the New Testament instead of the Old. Uh, Stephen, uh, who is our first martyr recorded in the New Testament that we see gave his life for standing up and proclaiming God's word. He, he, he did a beautiful recap of Moses' life. So if you want to, you can be turning to Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 17. <clears throat> and this is Stephen speaking about Moses. Now as the time was approaching to fulfill the promise that God had made to Abraham, the people flourished and multiplied in Egypt until a different king who did not know Joseph ruled over Egypt. He dealt deceitfully with our race and oppressed our ancestors by making them abandon their infants outside so that they wouldn't survive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. He was cared for in his father's home for three months. When he was put outside, Pharaoh's daughter adopted and raised him as her own son. So Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in his speech and actions. When he was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. When he saw one of them being mistreated, he came to his rescue and avenged the oppressed man by striking down the Egyptian. He assumed his people would understand that God would give them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. The next day he showed up while they were fighting and tried to reconcile them peacefully saying, Men, you are brothers. Why are you mistreating each other? But the one who was mistreating his neighbor pushed Moses aside, saying, Who appointed you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me the same way you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When he heard this, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. After forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in the flame of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. As he was approaching to look at, it, look at it, the voice of the Lord came. 
I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Moses began to tremble and did not dare to look. The Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, because the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. And now, come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected when they said, Who appointed you a ruler and a judge? This one God sent as a ruler and a deliverer through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out and performed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt, at the Red Sea, and in the wilderness for forty years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up from you a prophet like me from among your brothers and sisters. He is the one who was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors. He received living oracles to give to us. Our ancestors were unwilling to obey him. Instead, they pushed him aside and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. They even made a calf in those days, offered sacrifice to the idol, and were celebrating what their hands had made. You see the story of Moses, Moses from the very beginning when God called him. Well, in the very beginning, Moses felt this this desire to free his people who were oppressed by the Egyptians and being beaten, and he felt this desire to free them, but he went about it in his own strength, in his own way, and he sinned in his way that he went about it. Instead of through providing life, he killed, he murdered. And as a consequence, he was exiled for 40 years. But then when God finally called him, Moses was ready. God had called him to call him to lead his people out of Egypt. Moses did not want to do it. Over and over and over, Moses said, no, I can't speak very well. They're not going to believe me. And then after God allowed Aaron to speak for him and allowed Moses to go through all of his excuses, remember what the last thing Moses said was? He said, find somebody else. He went through all of his excuses like we do. We know what we're supposed to do. We know what God's called us to do. We know this, this thing that we've, God's placed on our heart. We know, and then we'll go through all our excuses of why not, why not, why not. And then eventually, when all of our excuses run out, we finally just say, you know what, just find somebody else. I really just don't want to do it. Moses did not want to lead the people. He didn't want to be responsible for the people. He didn't want to go back to Egypt. He didn't want to face Pharaoh. But God called him anyways. And then later we read that Moses was the most humble man in all the earth. We read that he got fed up with the Israelites over and over again. That they would complain and grumble and they threatened to kill him over and over. And he got fed up with him, and he's just like, I, I just, God, why did you make, put me over these people? I don't want to lead these people. But that's exactly who God wanted to lead the people. He wanted somebody who didn't have a desire to be a ruler, who wasn't craving power, who wasn't, who wasn't power hungry, who wanted to just dominate and rule people. He wanted somebody very, very humble who didn't feel like he had what it took to do what God had called him to do. And, and, and we are the same. God has called us to do all these different things. And over and over again, we feel like, I, I, I can't do that. I don't, I don't have what it takes. I, I don't have enough wisdom. I, I'm not smart enough. I, I'm, not, I'm not courageous enough. I, and, and you come up with all these excuses of why you don't feel like you can do what God has called you to do. But that's okay. God doesn't want us to feel like we have it in ourselves to do it. 
That's what he's for. That's what the Holy Spirit's for, to fill you and to empower you and to give you the words to say and the strength and the courage to do what he's called you to do. We are not the solution of our own problems. And that's what we see clearly with Moses and the Israelites. We cannot fix our problems. We can't. We cannot save ourselves. Only God can. And so we must look to someone else to save us. When we look at Moses today, we're going to be looking at the fact that Moses, that Jesus is the fulfillment and the greater Moses. That was a, a main part of our Sunday school lesson this morning. That Moses, we're going to look at some passages now. Moses was a leader of God's people. That's who Moses was. God had called Moses to be a leader of his people. He was a leader, one of many leaders that God has chosen throughout the past. But Jesus is the ultimate leader. And the ultimate leader we call the ruler. Jesus is the ruler, not only of God's people, but of the entire world. Philippians 2, 10 and 11 says this, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Moses was a leader, but Jesus is the ruler. We also saw that Moses was a judge of God's people. God had given Moses the responsibility to judge his people. And we remember that Jeth, his father-in-law Jethro came. Moses was overwhelmed with all the, all the judging that he had to do, that all the cases would come before him, and he would have to decide according to God's word. And Jethro told him, look, you need to split this up because this is too much for you. You can't judge all these people. You can't sit here and do this all the time. Because Moses didn't have the ability to be that ultimate judge, but Jesus is. Jesus is not only a judge of just God's people, but again, Jesus is a judge of the entire world. Acts 17.31 says that because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed, and he has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Moses was a judge, but Jesus is going to be the judge of the entire world, of every single person that we know. Moses was an intercessor for the people. Over again, when the people would sin against God, and God would get angry and say that I'm going to wipe them out, I'm going to start over, I'm going to, Moses, get out of my way, I'm going to destroy the people, and I'm going to start over with you. Again and again, Moses would come and plead to God and beg for the people. Please forgive the people. They've sinned against you. Please forgive them. And so Moses would intercede on the people's behalf. But we see that Jesus is the ultimate intercessor for all of God's people. Romans 8.34 says this, Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. But even more, he has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Amen? Does that give you comfort to know that you being weak and sinful, me too, that we, being weak, sinful people, we sin, we mess up, we fail. But to know that our judge at the end of our life, the one who will stand before, that we will stand before and who will judge us, he is at the Father's right hand right now interceding on our behalf just like Moses did for the people. Moses said, forgive them of their sin. And Jesus is standing beside God saying, forgive him, forgive her of her sin." that he is interceding for our forgiveness on our behalf. That's amazing. 
And it's encouraging. Moses was a prophet of God. But Jesus was the prophet. And this is something that we may not may, may miss as, as we're reading through the scriptures, but I want to take a few passages to point them out. Deuteronomy chapter 18, 15 through 19, Moses said, or Moses is quoting here, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. This is what you requested from the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not continue to hear the voice of the Lord our God or see this great fire any longer so that we will not die. And so what happened is they could hear God's voice on the mountain and they were terrified because of their own sinfulness, as, you, as they should have been. But what they did is they said, please, don't let God speak directly to us anymore. You go speak to God for us. Let God speak to you. You speak to God and you just come back and tell us what he said because I don't want to accidentally get wiped out by God's holiness and righteousness because of my own sinfulness. And so therefore, God set up this prophet system to where a prophet, a chosen person, would be would speak to God and God would speak to him and then they would speak to the people on his behalf. So then the Lord said to me, they have spoken well. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. I will hold accountable whoever does not listen to my words, but that he speaks the the words that he speaks in my name. So throughout Israel's history, you had several prophets. Moses being a prophet and many said was the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. But he was just a prophet among many prophets who were sinful and needed a Savior. But Jesus was the prophet that Moses said would come. And that's how people in the New Testament understood it. John chapter 5, verse 46 says, if Jesus said, if you believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. Jesus said, Moses wrote about me. In Jesus' day, the people were expecting the prophet, not just a prophet or another prophet, they were expecting what they understood as the prophet. John seven forty. When some from the crowd heard these words, they said, This truly is the prophet. Talking about Jesus. This is the prophet. John one forty five. Philip found Nathaniel after Jesus had called Philip to follow him and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. So the people had this understanding that Moses had written about this prophet, a prophet that was come, the prophet. And we have found the one that Moses himself wrote about. That was the understanding of the people in Jesus' day. John six fourteen said, when the people saw the sign they had, he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who is to come into the world. So it was not only Moses that wrote about this coming prophet, but it was also the old, other Old Testament prophets prophesied about this coming prophet. So Moses was a prophet, but Jesus is the prophet. And Moses was a mediator, but we know that Jesus is the one mediator. 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6 says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. There is one person who mediates between you and God, and that is his son, Jesus Christ. Moses was a deliverer from slavery. Jesus is the delivery from slavery and death. 
John 8, 34, Jesus responded, Truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. John 8, 34. So we see that as sinners, we are slaves to sin. And then Romans 6, 1 through 6 says this, What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. The New Testament paints a very clear picture. Jesus and the writers of the New Testament all said that we are slaved and enslaved to sin. But that Jesus, through our baptism into him, have died with him to sin, our old self, and our new self, raised to newness in life, is freed from the slavery of sin. Jesus has, Moses freed the, the Israelites from slavery to Egypt, but Jesus has freed us from the slavery to sin. And then Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Now you think of people that you know that do not know Christ have not placed their faith and hope and trust in the fact that God has a future and a beautiful place awaiting them at the end of this life and that he is with them now. Take those off the table and just imagine the people that don't have that hope. And the Bible says that they are held in slavery by the fear of death. They can't escape it. They can try, but they can't get away from it. Death is a fear that they don't want to think about because the future is nothing to them. It's it. It's over. It's all done. When I die, I'll know nothing. I'll never know anything again. I'll never have another thought, and I'll just cease to exist. And that fear holds them and haunts them. Therefore, they try not to think about it. They try to just keep it out of their mind, just push it off. We, are all, we all were slaves to the fear of death. We were afraid of dying until Jesus freed us from that fear. Jesus freed us from that slavery of the fear of death, that we can no longer, as Christians, we can no longer fear death, that death has lost its sting, that it does not frighten us anymore. Because now we are in the mindset now that this life is what frightens me, that the people in this world, that the problems that I'll face in this life, these are the, ones, these are the things that cause me worry and stress. The future after death No, there's no worry there. There's no fear there. That's what I yearn for, as Paul says. That's what I eagerly look forward to, is what Paul says. So we see that Jesus freed us from the slavery of sin and the slavery to the fear of death. And Moses, he communicated God's law, but Jesus 
brings grace and truth. John 1.17, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. See, the law was never had the ability nor the power to save. The law was given to us to show us we needed to be saved. That's what Paul says. Paul says that the law is good to show us what sin is. He said, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. I would not have known what it meant to covet if the, com- if the command did not say, do not covet. And I think that's a beautiful uh, uh, a verse there because it, that's, that's our situation here too. The, the American dream, you've heard me talk about this. What's the American dream? Earn as much money as you can. Get a, go to school, get a good education, earn as much money as you can. That way you can live the American dream. You can buy all the stuff you want and you can retire happy. That's the American dream, right? That's, what, that's what's pushed in this society. <clears throat> what, what did I say right before that? <laughs> covet. Covet. Let's get back. There it is. Covet. So in our society, we raise people who have no idea that it's a sin to covet what other people have. It, it, it's a, it's a, that's what you're told to do in this country. You're told, look at what they got, work hard, earn the money so that you can have what they have. But the God says, no, do not desire what your neighbor has. Don't desire what somebody else has. Be content with what you have. Because when you desire and yearn for what you don't have, then you are coveting. You're coveting what someone else has. And God's saying, you should be content with me. You should, I should make you feel content. You shouldn't feel empty when you have me. You shouldn't feel like there's something you need when you have me. And so therefore, he says it is sinful to covet. And Paul says, I wouldn't have even known that was a sin if God didn't tell me it was a sin. I wouldn't even know what sin was if it wasn't for the law. I wouldn't know how sinful I was if God didn't show me his, his standard of perfect holiness and righteousness. That his standard, he doesn't drop the bar any. He doesn't give exceptions in the law. The law says, this is my perfect standard, and in order to live, you must live by it. But the problem is nobody can live by it. No person has ever been able to live perfectly by the law until Jesus Christ. Jesus was able to live under the law perfectly without sinning. The law was to show us we needed Jesus. That we needed a Savior. And so God honored the Old Testament saints for their faith. That's what the New Testament tells us. The Old Testament saints were saved through faith. Abraham, he believed God, his faith, he believed God, and that was credited to him for righteousness, his faith. The Old Testament saints and the New Testaments, what saved them was their faith, their belief and trust in God. New Testament is in the person of Jesus Christ because that's how God has revealed himself more fully to us. So the parallels between Moses and Jesus are too many to cover in this sermon. We can't get into all the, all the details. And the reason is because all the scriptures, all the Old Testament scriptures have been pointing towards Jesus. They all point to Jesus. All the stories, all the characters, everything that happens, they're all pointing to the coming of Jesus. 
God has been allowing people to play roles in his grand story throughout history. And they've all been pointing toward the main character, Jesus Christ. And so I want to wrap up finishing by saying, how do you understand the gospel? This is something that I I shared with uh, our discipleship group this past week. I was listening to um, Robbie Gallaty. I want to just tell a little story real quick. Robbie Gallaty is a pastor at Long Hollow Baptist Church. And and, uh, when he was in seminary, um, he was in a class. And the professor asked two questions that he shared. He said, does anybody know why Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine? Anybody know? Well, Robbie said that's what the class was like. None of the seminary students knew except just so happened to be Robbie's roommate for that semester. His roommate threw his hand up. Now, his roommate was a Messianic Jew, which means he was raised, born and raised Jewish and accepted Jesus as his Messiah. So he was a believing, a Jew who believed in Jesus Christ as Messiah. And so his roommate, who happened to be a Jew, raised his hand. And he said, yeah. He said, because Moses' first miracle was turning the water into blood. And so here, when God gave the ten plagues, the first plague that he allowed Moses to, to participate in was he turned the Nile, the river, into blood, which represented death. And here Jesus is turning the water into wine, which represents life in abundance. He said, okay. Does anybody know why Jesus was baptized at the beginning of his ministry? Nobody raised their hand, but Robbie's roommate stuck his hand up. So yeah, that represents the Israelites going through the Red Sea, going through the water and escaping their bondage and slavery into new life. And that represents our baptism. And so Jesus had to, had to fulfill Israel. And so he had, even though Jesus didn't have to repent of sins and he didn't have to be freed from the slavery of of sin, as we just talked about, he did have to associate himself perfectly with the nation of Israel so that he could be their perfect sacrifice. So he had to do just like they did. And Robbie's like, can't wait to get back to the room. (laughs) He said, Robbie said, I was the worst roommate ever. I kept him up all night long asking him questions. How do you know this? How do you know this? Where did the, what are you talking about? Tell me, tell me something else. Tell me something more. And so after, after drilling his roommate with questions, his, his uh, roommate asked Robbie, he said, Robbie, let me ask you a question. He said, when you share the gospel with people, how do you share the gospel? And Rob, Robbie said, Romans Road, of course. You know, how many, how many here have learned Romans Road? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, but the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5, 8, but God proves his own love for us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 9, 10, one confesses with the mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead but one, because one believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and confesses with the mouth that, and resulting in salvation. In Romans 10, 13, for, all, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Robbie's like, that is the Baptist way of sharing the gospel. And he said, Robbie, that... That's where me and you are different. He said, you know, he's Jewish. He said, when I share the gospel, I start with Genesis. And I work through the Old Testament. And I talk about how God created us and placed us on this earth and made us perfect. But yet we, we, we were tempted and we fell short and we sinned and rebelled against God. And therefore we're separated from God in the garden. And therefore we had to be reconnected with God. But we had to have a sacrifice made 
for us. And so the sacrificial system was put in place. And then go to Moses and, and delivering the people out of slavery of Egypt and bring, calling a nation to himself to, to set apart from all the other nations on earth to show the people how to relate to me and live with me and how I'm perfectly holy, but yet I desire a relationship with you. And so there, therefore you must be holy for I am holy. That's what God says. You must be holy for I am holy so that we can be in relationship together. And then how Moses failed and how the prophets failed and how the Israelites failed over and over and over. They tried, but they couldn't. They couldn't pull it off. They kept sinning over and over and over. And instead of God just destroying them and wiping them out, he kept having mercy and forgiveness and love showing to them. But still there was a problem that we were separated and that in order to be reunited with God, we must be perfect. But we cannot be perfect. Therefore, we must trust and beg and rely on him to save us. And so therefore, God provided a perfect sacrifice, one that was sufficient for people himself. That God in heaven, who is holy and just and righteous and can't ignore sin and sweep it under the rug, he said, I will go down and I will be the sacrifice for these people because they can't do it themselves. And it points to Jesus coming and being that perfect sacrifice to save us from our sin so that we can live in holiness with God. And so he said he works, you know, he works, he starts with the Old Testament, he works through the Old Testament and how it points to Jesus and how Jesus is fulfillment of all that. And just tells our story. How did we get into the situation we're in? How did we get into this mess we're in? What did, what did God originally want from us? What does he still want from us? Does he want us? And just works through this story. And so I just thought it was really important in light of all the, the, the things that are going on, all the different people talking about unhitching ourselves from the Old Testament that we've been talking about and different things. That the Old Testament is just as important as the New Testament. They're all God's words. All of it. They're all God's words. Everything God did, He did for a reason. And the New Testament Christians, as I was saying this morning in Sunday school, when the, Jesus made disciples, you know what Bible He used? The Old Testament. When the disciples first started making disciples, you know what Scripture they used? The Old Testament. They used the Old Testament to make disciples of Christ in the New Testament. And how it was fulfilled in light of Jesus. So here's the thing. Are you saved by the works of the law and living a righteous life? Absolutely not. You're saved. You enter to a relationship with God through salvation, through your faith and trust in Jesus, period. But once you're you have that revelation and that salvation where you're saved. You use the Old Testament as well as the New to disciple people, to make disciples. You don't throw the old out and just go with the new. You use all of this to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We're commissioned to go out into the world, to baptize people, and to make disciples. And that is what we'll do. And we're never going to throw out any of this word right here. The parts we like, we're going to cherish them and stick them on our wall and make buy cups that have the verses on them. We're going to do all that stuff. But the parts that we read that we don't like, that rub us the wrong way, and we're like, you know what, if I was God, I don't think I would have done that, which is exactly why we're not God. But the parts that we don't like, we're not throwing them out. We're not going to push them to the side and say, well, you know what, I'm just never going to read that book again. I'm just going to pretend like that's not there. No, we're going to wrestle with the Scripture. We're going to study the Scripture because this is God's revelation of Himself to us. And we're going to hold it all to the same esteem. 
that God has always desired a relationship with us forever. And when we've messed up and we cannot save ourselves, that we trust that he loves us so much that he desires to save us. And so I just want to share that with you, that we're working through this Bible, the, the entire Bible, and all these stories are important to learn. All these stories are important to read and study and learn and, and remember so that you can use them in conversation with people and to show them how God throughout the past has never given up on us no matter how sinful we were and that he's not going to start now. But his desire for us is that we should turn from sin, repent, turn from sin and place our trust and faith in him to save us on the last day. And that John, the book of 1 John, tells us that you can know that you are saved now. Not just one day in the future. He said, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you are saved. The Holy Spirit comes to live within you. The Holy Spirit changes you and makes you into a new person. Enables you, takes you from death to life frees you from the slavery of sin, and makes you a slave to God. The Holy Spirit comes to live within you now. Do you have him? Are you sealed by the promised Holy Spirit? Are you saved? And if not, there's nothing more important than making a decision today to give your life totally to him, to say, I'm turning from sin, and I'm turning to you, and I trust you to save me. And I will live in holiness for you because that is what you've called me to do. I love you. God, save me. And that's what it takes. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you that you have gone through all these great lengths to save us. That we could never save ourselves, we could never be good enough to save ourselves, to earn our salvation, to earn a right standing in relationship with you because we've all sinned and deserve death as a result. But Father, your love is so great that you came and paid the price for us in our place so that you could forgive us. And Father, we can't, we can't never thank you enough for that. And so Father, therefore, we, we won't cheapen that grace We'll cherish it. We love you. Father, please forgive us. Father, please empower us and, and live within us. Make us into a new creation. Help us to, to, to represent you well to the world. We love you, Father. We thank you for your love and forgiveness. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. If y'all would stand for our last song. Amen. I want to thank y'all for coming today. Um, we're going to keep an eye on the weather. It's supposed to be storming tonight around church, but we'll see if it's going to be bad or if it's just going to be raining. So keep a listen out for whether or not we will call church again this Sunday like we did last Sunday. We need to be praying for the people. Last Sunday, um, 23 people in Alabama were killed by the tornadoes that came through here last Sunday evening. Um, so we need to be in prayer for their families as well. Keith, would you close us in prayer?